You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Lieb. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod Yourself The Wire. A The Wire podcast where Vince Mancini and I go through every single episode of The Wire and and talk talk about about it. it. We're very excited that you could all join us once again for the world's only The Wire podcast. The Wire, a show about hating your boss. Um, so give us five stars and a review on all of the different platforms and, uh, yeah, fucking subscribe. If, uh, you, if you're using fucking Spotify, you can press subscribe. If you're using Stitcher, do it there yeah, They too. understand the concept. Okay. I just would like to spell it out a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyways, thank you so much once again for joining us today Vince and I, and a very special guest, are going to be talking about, from Season 1 of The Wire, Episode 2, The Detail, which uh, premiered June 9th, 2002. All right, our guest today, on this very special episode of Pod Yourself The Wire, you have heard him on such great podcasts as Pod Yourself A Gun, The Sopranos Podcast, which uh, is uh, one of the greatest Sopranos podcasts, not the only one that's ever existed. You also know him from... The wonderful podcast, pardon my take. Ladies and gentlemen, PFT Commenter is here. Thank you, guys. I'm yeah. glad. I just thought you guys should have called this podcast uh, when, when you pod through the garden. You know, that was originally one of our titles. We had that. We had uh, Way Down in a Pod or Pod um, Down pod down in a hole. I like that. Yeah, all of those were which good. Which hole? No one knows. It's, no one it's knows. enticing. Find out in the final episode which yeah. hole we've been talking about this yeah. whole time. We've been hole. podding in the butthole this whole time <laughs> by M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, no, we uh, yeah, we had a lot of names that we thought of, and then at the end we chose the possibly the stupidest possible name we could, one that references the Sopranos a little bit in it. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Listen, I, I, I think it's a great name. I don't mean to tell you guys how to do your job. I didn't even realize that part of my take was a combination of part of the interruption and first take until we got sued by ESPN for doing that. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's a blatant ripoff. I, I thought that's what it was. Portman, no, you're right. Portman you're right. Toes are protected speech as far as I'm concerned. And to be fair, it was a cease and desist letter, not a full lawsuit. Okay. But we, we outmaneuvered them legally by sending them a cease and desist letter back telling mm-hmm. them, hey, cease and desist with your bullshit letters. Yeah, cease and desist yeah. being a bitch, Disney. <laughs> yeah, right? You this, told Disney right to their this face. This whole letter's out of order. Yeah, but uh, yeah, th- thank you guys for having me back. I It's been probably 10 years since I watched The Wire, yeah. so um, it's good to tap back in on it, and I forgot basically everything, but I do know that it's very important. Um, it's like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. of tv shows to sports writers so sports yeah. writer, if you were born after uh, I'll, I'll put a caveat on that because like the old guys they don't give a shit about the wire but if you were born <laughs> after 1975 i think this is your bruce springsteen if you're a sports writer yeah socially conscious uh a very gritty type of feel and also um you know it's on the same network that had stevie van sant and another show yeah that's so, right yeah it's yeah. perfect. You want to you want to see gritty? I took notes on this episode in old school Marvel composition book. How about that? Oh man, That's, I'm getting I'm getting some ink under my nails. So um, I like the way that, that you phrased it uh, when you said it's what the a show the about hating your boss. Hating your boss. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think what you can take away from the wire as a whole is just like everybody likes to go through life without getting yelled at. So just yeah. like do <laughs> yeah. do whatever doesn't get you yelled at. Right. Yeah. We like yeah. to be lazy and. Uh, and uh, doing a good job usually is uh, nothing, nothing but trouble at your workplace. Yeah. Don't right. make me do paperwork and don't make my boss yell at me. And if you can get away with that, then you'll advance quickly through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's no reward for doing above and beyond at your job, even though the promise of that is always, well, you get a promotion or, you you know, and 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 you might get that. But in general, no, you're not going to. It's actually it all ties back to that chicken McNugget scene in this episode in which, uh, you know, D'Angelo is telling them that the guy who invented chicken nuggets probably still working in the basement thinking of how to make the fries taste better. Like he didn't get a piece. And yeah, uh, yeah bosses. I, that that sent me way down a rabbit hole of who actually did invent the chicken McNugget and whether they got rich for of it. Of course and you it was, did. You know, it was a little complicated, but uh, sure, we'll talk. We'll get to that. I want to get into that, uh, but uh, do you have PFT a uh, a favorite character in The Wire? Uh, I like Weebay. Yeah, I like Weebay a lot, especially how he goes down. Like when, yeah. when when they bring him in and he's he just keeps ordering food. That's great. I also like <laughs> I like Cool Lester Smooth Man. Yeah, Lester oh, yeah. Lester is the man, and uh, I, I'd forgotten about you know, his backstory and all that, how he was, as they would say on the wire, good police. Mm-hmm. And then they, they kind of sent him down to what, like the pawn shop right. for a while. And then they brought him back up and it took a while to like get him back in the zone and realize, okay, I can do some good here. But yeah. uh, the, the scene that came back to me after I was watching this in a later episode, um, I forget which detective it was that pulls up after Lester's no longer working in that detail and he mm-hmm. hands him Avon Barksdale's phone number. They're like, we got his cell phone. And the first thing that he does is he crank calls Avon Barksdale and <laughs> pretends to order pepper steak on the phone yeah, with him. You got that pepper steak. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I do remember that one. Uh, yeah, he's a man. I think he's my favorite character. 
Yeah, yeah. Lester is great. Lester's like um, a, I don't know, an emotionally functional McNulty. Like, he also <laughs> fucking hates the bosses, but he's like, I'm not going to drink myself to death. He's like a non-Irish McNulty, which, <laughs> yeah, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. Anyways, this is not a podcast about, well, we haven't not talked about The Wire, so this is a Wire podcast, and we cannot start the podcast without first playing the theme song. If you Pod. Through the garden, you Pod. Well, I beg your Pod. Podcast. Pod. The Wire. Gotta keep the devil Pod Down in the hole 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 Podcast Alright, ladies and gentlemen Today, once again, we're gonna be talking about from Season 1, Episode 2 of The Wire, The Detail, which premiered on June 9th, 2002. Vince, can you break us off a little piece of that synopsis? After the death of a state's witness, Detective McNulty decides to sidestep the chain of command and take the case back into his black, drunken Irish potato farming hands in Jesus Christ. Oh, did you write this one? I did write it. (laughs) Once again, I cannot find a synopsis for these episodes that isn't like two paragraphs long. Mm -hmm. It's kind of insane. So I've just decided I'm going to write a new one uh, every week because someone's got to do it. Sure. Um, So Vince... What was happening at the time that this episode came out? Let's oh, get that's, some, some that's background. R- that's right, man. I think we need some cultural background uh, for this episode. And for that, we go to the back in the day machine. It's a bad time for newspapers. As you all know, the news hole is shrinking as advertising dollars continue to decline. And the internet is a free source of news and opinions. The machine tells the tale, son. Lots of work went into these, all right? Incredible. I just want to let you know. Yeah, usually I like to go, uh, you know, important to frivolous on these uh, in the in the back in the day machine. Today I'm going to mm-hmm. go the opposite direction. I'm going to try to go from, uh, you know, more frivolous news towards the more important stuff. Uh, right. First up, from the New York Post, headline, Spider-Man can't swing ringside seat. Okay, Sorry. so it's I a Spider-Man the... article in 2002. Yeah. So we're talking about Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. That's right. This is June 9th, right. 2002. I think I forgot to say the date. Um, Memphis. Along came a spider who sat back in the stands. Spider-Man <laughs> star Tobey Maguire and pal Leonardo That's DiCaprio. That's a great lead. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Writing, we, they, don't, they don't write newspaper leads like that anymore. Yeah, I feel like they gave all of the newspaper, all of like the newspaper jobs, like the lead writing jobs to people who are just 
who used to work at BuzzFeed now, now they yeah. all start off with like, and I can't even at the end of whatever mm-hmm. sentence. And we're yeah. totally crying about it. Every fucking one. This Back in one, the day it was like, all right, if you have a play on words or a pun, we don't care if it's a it. four out of 10, but if it's less than eight words, go for it. Yeah. And that's the first thing. It sentence. was probably like old columnists that, you know, they used mm-hmm. to write the Rick Riley articles, the ones that were just like, a, you know, a slice of life or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, uh, probably 600 words a week that are due and they're all in like every sentence is its own paragraph. And they gave <laughs> yeah. that guy the job writing online. He's like, Oh, I can just like write whatever bullshit and be quirky <laughs> and funny about it because it's the internet. And this is just a fad for young people. So he gave like, even that guy gave his D minus effort. Yeah. <laughs> no one was trying very hard, which again is goes back to the theme of the wire. Um, yeah. Spider-Man star and Pal Leonardo DiCaprio, AKA Toby the, McGuire, AKA and, the Pussy Posse, which they didn't put, but we all know that's yeah. what they're saying. Didn't make the A list and had to watch Lennox Lewis pummel Michael Tyson, Mike Tyson, from behind a second row railing. Oh, ew, ew. gross! The humiliated pair tried to hide from <laughs> photographers. <laughs> they described them as humiliated yep, in right. the article. Uh-huh. By pulling down their baseball caps, while the star-studded ringside crowd at the Pyramid Arena graciously posed for pictures. The disgraced duo had events security shoo the paparazzi away. Uh, Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, Morgan Freeman, Wesley Snipes, Val Kumer, and Cuba Gooding Jr. were among the big names to watch Lewis K.O. Tyson. I'm sorry, but like they're going hard in this article at them. They've called them disgraced and humiliated because they didn't sit in the front row. That's yeah. right. Can you imagine going to a Mike Tyson fight and not getting blood on you? <laughs> I mean, it would Might suck. as well even watch from, from your couch. <laughs> I mean, he's Spider-Man, for Christ's sake. He can't get in the front row. Damn, that's great, though. I love it, because everyone they described in that list, except for Val Kilmer, is black. And I love that they were just like, no, nah, we're not letting these two white boys in there. <laughs> and Val can come, because he's fucking ripped in Tombstone. <laughs> we got a few uh, other names on the uh, in the article. Supermodel Tyra Banks watched the action, snuggled up to hoop star boyfriend Chris Webber. Oh, shit. I forgot Tyra Banks and Chris, 2002 Chris Webber? Apparently. So, like, Sacramento Kings almost fucking finals? Chris Webber, damn. I think that Good was for him. still post-knee injury, but I'm not positive. No, that was probably before. Um, former Nick great Patrick Ewing was in the house, as were NBA stars Tim Hardaway and Dikembe Mutombo, ex-NFL star Chris Carter, and former boxing champs Thomas Hitman Hearns and George Foreman. Nice. Cool, 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 cool. Oh yeah. So that's so that puts us gives us some cultural context yeah. at the time. Some more cultural com- context. Uh this was 2002. Um some people were buying groceries uh online and it was people were fucking freaking out about it. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. This- you remember the net with Sandra Bullock at, in, in that opening scene where she's ordering a pizza online and it's, it's meant to be like character development as what a nerd she is. It's like, oh my God, can you believe this person is so isolated with the internet that they're ordering pizza on their computer? Wow, that's a real dark future. <laughs> I forget who wrote it, but someone wrote up the history of Nun Pizza Left Beef, which was like a early meme because apparently you could order a pizza and like for for toppings... <laughs> Like you could just put none and then like you could have it on one side where, you know, you had one topping on one side and one side, uh, one topping on the other. And someone ordered, I don't know this, a a nun pizza, which is a pizza with nothing on it, except there's beef topping on the left side. And it was called nun pizza left beef. 
God, I've never thought that someone explaining a meme would be so incomprehensible, but I have no idea. I still don't know what you mean, but... Well, just imagine... Well, order, I'm imagining it. Ima it's half the pizza's got nothing a, on it. a pizza crust that is bare, except for some beef on the left side. I'm looking this up right now. None pizza left beef. So does that mean that there's no marinara and cheese, or is it just... No, a it's a none pizza that has nothing okay, on so it. Okay, so is it just bread? Yeah, it's just bread. So a half half bread pizza, half <laughs> all just beef. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a pretty funny pizza. It looks. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna look at it's it. Really I'm gonna look at it, it now. I, I get it. The meme is the meme is great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's why we had him on, so we can justify my meme remembering. Let's remember some memes. Uh, oh, that is a good pizza. That like, all right. you're right. <laughs> all right. Okay, now that everybody's looked that up, uh, we're back in 2002 and people are buying uh, groceries online. It is 11 p.m. and Jill Sampson is sitting at her computer shopping for groceries. Click. Mm. Grape juice. Click. Dishwashing soap. Click. Peanut butter crackers. The brand her two young sons, Forrest and Peter, like best. She heads for the kitchen to check her supply of yogurt before choosing flavors. Back at the computer, she selects the last item on her list and submits her order. Forrest and Peter have been in bed for hours, and Ms. Simpson, too, will soon be asleep. In the morning, her groceries will be delivered to her door. Thanks to her Larchmont zip code and Peapod by Stop and Shop, the internet grocer, whose services have been available in parts of Westchester since November 2001, uh, Ms. Simpson does the majority of her weekly marketing online. It's an alternative that is, she said, perfect for me. Uh, it is, however, an alternative fraught with obstacles and one that has been defeated in various incarnations over the last several years. Uh, here's some cool names of, uh, you know, early two early 21st century websites uh, incoming. Webvan, a California-based operation begun in 1999, closed last spring, despite its recent acquisition of HomeGrocer.com. Other efforts that met similar fate were Cosmo, which serviced nine cities, Streamline.com, from which Peapod bought operations in Chicago and Washington, and Shoplink.com, for which Ms. Simpson had signed up just weeks before its demise last year. You think Cosmo just got sued to death by Cosmopolitan magazine? Well, I mean, it was Cosmo with a K, so there was no confusion uh, right, right there. Cosmo Kramer style. That's all right. right. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the days of, of like the gold rush to get out there and just claim whatever, yes. whatever online real estate that sounded yeah. cool. You got to get your URL get the name first and then build the business around the name. I'm sure that's happening in some part of the internet that I'm not familiar with right yeah, now. Probably actually, crypto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely crypto. But also uh, I saw that happening like way late in the game. Uh, but with uh, stand-up comedians, there was a guy who would, he would go to San Francisco open mics and he would just pick comedians to buy. He would buy their .com before they got it oh, man. and then try to sell it back to them. <laughs> that guy and, should be murdered. Yeah, I mean, right? <laughs> it's, like, yeah. that's a, it's the most fucked up thing. Also, it's the worst business picking, model ever. Right. You're picking on a group of people that like doesn't have money to get free drinks at the open mic and you right. think like yeah. that is going to be your customer base right there. I want all of... your drink tickets from now on. <laughs> so weird. A bunch of jobless dudes in like band t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, we have a real story. Uh, President Bush uh, was proposing a cabinet-level homeland security department. 
Mm. Um, under strong pressure from Congress, President Bush proposed creating a cabinet-level department to oversee homeland defense with sweeping authority to protect the nation's borders, ensure airline security, and respond to national emergencies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I wonder if that worked out. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, we still take our shoes off. That's really the only thing that that agency has done, right? Is, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. One guy tried to bomb an airplane with his shoes, and mm-hmm. so then for the rest of your life, you're not you're not fucking walking through that metal detector with shoes on. It's just not going to happen. If he had been a true homie, he would have been like, oh, you know, he would have been the like um, fucking uh, the blouse and bra bomber. Mm-hmm. And then it'd be like, you can't get in this plane unless your titties are out. And then we'd all be like, hey, it's for America. Yeah. I'm just saying that would have ruled. Just the pants bomber. Everybody, yeah. no, pa- no pants in the airport. That's nope. the new federal law. Dude, that would rule. I would love it if there was one place where we could all just just you know donald duck it yep uh no one would say shit if approved by congress the overhaul of security responsibilities would be the largest reorganization of the government since 1947 blah 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 um, uh senator joseph i lieberman who chairs the senate governmental <laughs> affairs committee said the sooner we can get this department created and thereby raise our guard against terrorist attacks the better uh yeah wow that was pretty that's my anti-semitic voice you just did dude he's an unbelievable anti-semitic person yeah unbelievable you're canceled i think he was uh he was gonna go get brisket with uh with with levy after right after (laughs) that (laughs) i actually voted that in Oh man! So yeah, let's talk about it. So that's that's the wayback machine. That's been uh, the the back in the day machine. That's the back in the day machine. That's what was going on. All right, let's get into this episode. Um, Vince, you brought up uh, this is the first episode in which we meet uh, the lawyer, the famous drug lawyer for the Barksdale organization. More, uh, what is he, Maurice? Maurice Levy? Levy, yeah, he's sort of yeah. like the David Miscavige of the Barksdale crew because he's just <laughs> he's a, slapping them. He's around. a little guy that comes in there and starts slapping people upside the head, even though uh, you know you'd think they could kill him, but they don't because he has too yeah. much power. He's got a lot of power that one. So let's let's talk uh, general general thoughts uh, on this episode, Vince. What did you like it? I loved this episode. I mean, this sort of uh, continues my theme of the first episode, which is it, it's like this show that is at once this innovative thing where we're actually going to understand how a city turns into a failed city and why the crime rate sort of keeps going up um, in a way that no show has ever done it before and I don't think any other medium could possibly tackle in quite the totality that the wire does it but mm-hmm. but he does it smart because he's still a hollywood guy so he, he 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 manages to incorporate that into like a bunch of very like tried and true uh hollywood tropes and in this one it's like you get you simultaneously get like the ragtag troop of fuck-ups uh trope you know like you mm-hmm. got your sort of you got your sort of your a-team coming together mm-hmm. here and then this a- episode is largely about uh, McNulty and and Lieutenant Daniels, who are initially at odds, they're they're slowly be, they're slowly coming to uh, uh, a begrudging respect for each other, and and it's it's just building slowly in this episode. You can see it coming; it's sort of on the yeah. horizon. It hasn't quite happened yet, but it's like they got that they got the inkling. They you know they they both got that twinkle in their eye, like where they're they're recognizing each other's game. 
Yeah. yeah I, I, I love the, the D list team that they bring together where it's um, Polk and <laughs> his name's actually Patrick Mahone. Yeah. Which is, I, I like that. It's one of those things yeah. that I, I heard his name and I was like, I really hope his first name's Patrick. He's an Irish cop. I'm going to look it up. And it's Patrick Mahone. Oh, that's perfect. Those two guys, they're my, they're my favorite. Like the first day, the first <laughs> meeting on the job, they're like, Oh yeah. Who signs the overtime slips. Yeah. I right. Love yeah. Those guys. Oh, and it's like, it's a very clear, I mean, poke and Mahone, like the origin of that to me is very obvious where that's clearly like poke Mahone, which means right. kiss my ass in Irish. And, David mm-hmm. Simon is clearly a fan of the Pogues, which came from the same uh, place because he has he had in McNulty's future uh, detective funeral scene, which is like I don't know four seasons out at this point. They're playing Body of yep. an American by the Pogues, which right. Uh, well, actually, all the yeah, all of the uh, the cop like uh, Irish wakes that they do um, are all playing the Pogues song, which was actually it was uh, a little bit of trivia. Um, producer Robert Colesbury's uh, favorite song, and he's a producer that actually died uh, in the middle of shooting like season three or something. And um, that's when they do the first like uh, Irish wake. And yeah. uh, they played it because it was his favorite song. So it's a great R- song. It feels R- like R- it's pandering directly to me, even though I don't buy for a second that a bunch of uh, cops in Baltimore know all the words to a to Pogue, a Pogue song. song. No, but, uh, yeah, not I, old, I, not I, old guys. I'm yeah. willing to uh, suspend disbelief for that one, though. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think this episode for me is where it becomes clear, uh, like what the wire is trying to do. Um, in that it's like very much the anti-law and order show. And what I mean by that, it's like it's like the antithesis of your network cops and robbers show. It's doing literally everything the opposite that they would do on any of those other shows. Like in this one, they're they're talking about politics. Um, you know, they take their hard boiled like good cop character Daniels uh, and make him at one point tell his officers how to avoid a police brutality charge. (laughs) Like they're subverting all of the expectations you would see on a network cops uh, and robbers show. And also uh, as we mentioned before, they make the lawyer uncomfortably Jewish, (laughs) like the most Jewish caricature so much so that David Simon had to tell like a few people to stop harassing him. It wasn't meant to be anti-Semitic and he's Jewish himself. And, um, and I think he had, uh, he had like a, a good way of kind of like putting it. He said, quote, why did we make this guy Jewish? Because when I was covering the drug trade for 13 years for the sun, most of the major drug lawyers were Jewish. Some of them are now disbarred and others are not, but came pretty close. Anyone who is in law enforcement in Baltimore knows the three or four guys that Maury Levy is patterned on. So he's clearly based on a, uh, an amalgamation of multiple, a cabal, if you will, of <laughs> <laughs> several Jewish lawyers. A council, all to- maybe. Yeah, yeah, all together. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, you would not see that on network TV, it, it, which is not to say you wouldn't see everything else. You would totally see, like, uh, drug dealers, like, all the black characters would be the same, but... If there was a Jewish lawyer character, they'd be like, can you not have him say Yiddish words? Because <laughs> we don't want to get in trouble. But none of the other shit they would get in trouble for. Yeah, you dropping the brisket is like part of his <laughs> the background exposition on him. It's uh it's fantastic way to just like really kick the door down. Okay, this is what we're going for here. You make a good point though about how it's it's the antithesis 
of old cop TV shows. And yeah. I feel like every genre kind of goes through that. Where in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you have shows that are about various professions and they're all meant to just build them up and be like, look at these bastions of, of virtue. Yeah. And then there's a show that will come around later. And I, I remember when I watched this for the first time and like Daniels gets a call in the middle of the night. I'm used to seeing in every cop show, like a cops never get a full night's sleep. They get called out of bed at like two 30 in the morning, right. Every single night. And they wake up, they're like, okay, I have to go fight crime. Sorry. Like in this show on the wire, they just wouldn't pick up that call. They just sleep in like a normal person <laughs> and come in at like 10 30 in the morning. The, hom- the, the person's still going to be dead. I don't have to get out of bed for it. Right. Yeah. And, and also, also you, I'm not going to get paid yeah. to get out of bed. So why would I do it? And tradition- exactly. It's, yeah. it, it's a, it's a way more realistic, look at it because you grow up thinking that police officers are superheroes and you're like, no, they just, they're people like you and me that hate doing work, but they happen to have a gun. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then traditionally I feel like the cop would be, you know, in bed with his wife and his perfect, like two child home, like out in the suburbs. And this one, it shows McNulty waking up in like, basically like a serial killers, like studio hovel with nothing on the walls. His, his bed is on the fucking dad pad floor. is amazing, dude. <laughs> yeah. He's just covered in cereal boxes and fucking newspapers. <laughs> He's got like a jar of piss next to him. The dude is, constantly struggling and it's always just as a background thing to the story i love I think, it i think when you get divorced you just revert back to what happens when you went to college for the first time yeah it's like yeah fuck <laughs> just put the box spring on the ground i don't need a bed frame i'm gonna get drunk on a weeknight because i can i don't have yes. my parents around that sort of thing mcnulty yeah he, he goes through it for sure i knew the second i saw him when he's wearing the leather jacket i'm like okay this guy he's like if <laughs> they're going for if the Fonz was a cop in this one <laughs> yeah if the Fonz were an alcoholic divorced, divorced and Fonz. a cop yeah yeah it's uh it is great the too other- I, I i do think that is what a divorced man actually does look like and i think that you know, for any of the the women listening to this podcast, understand that ninety nine percent of us cleaning and and doing dishes and stuff is just putting on airs. Yes, yeah, at for the end you. of the day, it's not for it, us. Yeah, it's for you. It's to be someone who uh, is can be married. It's to it's to it's to project the idea that I'm normal. But left to our own devices, we're, we're our box, uh, our our feet are just. Kleenex boxes. We're all Howard Hughes in the end, I think. Yeah, we're paying the cable bill like months before we pay the electricity bill. We're paying yeah. the gas bill the day before it gets shut off. That's what that's what men go back to. Yeah, we're we're half naked stealing our neighbor's newspaper. That's like because like, why am I going to pay for a subscription? Nah, to just look at the headline. The other um, thing that this episode does is, I think I mean this was. I don't know the actual history around it, but this is definitely way before I ever heard like the term, the stop and frisk policy, but this, this like before that was even really in the zeitgeist, this episode and the wire in general, it kind of, it explains how that policy came to be and why it doesn't work uh, in in general and why it just kind of serves to piss people off and not solve any crime. Um, Like you get a full, like sort of a thorough accounting for that just in this one episode. And it's, uh, it's pretty great. You you mean when they're like jamming up? uh, Yeah. There's all these guys. They're like, they could go sit on a roof somewhere and, 
and like hide and take pictures of a guy that some, that some dope fiend says is important. Like, so they're basically like their whole thing is like, they're taking, it feels like they're taking orders from a heroin addict up there, which feels right. like shit. <laughs> and they're the ones sneaking around. And I suppose that instead of that, they can go down and just start busting heads and be like mm-hmm. the guy that, people are afraid of who announces his presence and says like hey i'm the big swinging dick like obviously that's much more gratifying to anyone who's doing that job than actually building a case and doing work but uh you know they don't really get much out of it other than like that feeling of being the big swinging dick in the project yeah because if you're a cop you know uh, like just an officer You've got so many bosses, you know, you've got your sergeant, you've got your major, you got your fucking, you know, the deputy ops. It's like you are you're low on the totem pole, like Herc and Carve are kind of the lowest of the low. They're above like, you know, they're they're, they are CID. So they feel a little bit special, but they are they're low. So the only way they actually can feel like they are important and have power is to go into the hood and just start jamming people up for no reason because they think like the only thing that these guys understand is you know violence so i'm gonna go in and just start throwing people's laundry away and even (laughs) just like at a basic level like if you want to do that like i I mean i imagine the attraction is to sort of have the freedom to drive around on your own and like have the power of being like the authority and, and getting to carry the gun and wear the pants so like obviously getting to exercise that and being having freedom is going to be a lot more attractive and gratifying to you than like taking orders and like skulking behind a building and like quietly building a case that no one knows about. Right. Yeah. But then the second you're confronted with the consequences of your own actions, like I think her, pretends to get shot in that scene doesn't he yeah. he's like yes. i'm hit i'm hit and yeah. he's got like a scrape on his head and he immediately just goes back to the fetal position I'm hit. Signal 13. <laughs> if, if the guys in the projects really wanted to knock the cops out now they should have just like thrown a bag of heroin out the window and, and just yelled out watch out it's got fentanyl and then it hits the ground <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden every cop passes out yeah, it's just like like the Joker's sleep gas. It's yeah. just fentanyl, though. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, there's another scene. Like Herc uh, acts like a bitch twice. One is he pretends that he got hit during that like riot scene at the end of this episode. But then also when they're walking up on the roof uh, to take those pictures, uh, he steps on a nail. And I have a clip. Oh, fuck. Yeah, Kima. Where are you taking us? What? Jesus. You ain't got no creep taking. Pair of goddamn elephants. Oh, the rest of the nail just went through my shoe, man. I'm gonna need tightness to get behind this bullshit. I, I just love that he is like, this is him not being in the field. Like, this is him doing like actual police work. And he immediately is just like, guys, uh, I'm injured, so I gotta I gotta step out. This is some bullshit. Have you ever stepped uh, on a rusty tennis. nail, though? Uh, yeah, I mean, it. Listen, I I wouldn't want to step on a rusty nail, but I just love the idea that it's possible that Herc could die from <laughs> not like like that would be a line of duty accident, and he could probably get like fucking you know paid time off or whatever. Oh yeah, I, I get the feeling like most cops in the wire, if they they would kind of wish to get a small amount of tetanus. 
Yeah. Just so that they could play it up. Like I'll, you know what? I'll deal without using my right foot for the rest of my life. If it means yeah. I get to just sit on my couch and yell at my wife. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just a little bit of tetanus as a treat. Like it would help. Th- in fact, uh, there's, you know, there's some storylines later in the season in which, uh, uh, I think Polk and Mahone are both debating whether or not to fall down the stairs yeah. <laughs> on purpose <laughs> so that they can, they can get time off and get full pay. Like, oh, that's just wonderful, man. Um, so, yeah, uh, we started off this episode um, where we left off last week, which is with the death of the state's witness, Willie Gant. And uh, in the cold open, uh, you see kind of like, McNulty's wheel spinning as he decides that he is going to uh, tell the judge about the murder of a state's witness. What are you going to tell the major? That I caught a stone fucking whodunit. Well, don't stop selling the witness angle. Come on. Why get the bosses riled? Before we know for sure. Look, if I start talking shit that a witness got killed, tell him. Why? Just cover yourself on this. Hey, Jim. You ain't going to do what I think, right? Hey, listen to me. This shit is going to jump up and bite you in your ass. And it will. <laughs> uh, he decides from that moment to go over to Judge Phelan and uh, start talking shit. Basically say that uh, the detail that was assigned to Daniels uh, to take down Avon Barksdale is what they describe as a bunch of humps, which is, uh, I think, a perfect I mean, that's perfect language. I don't know if that's cop language or Baltimore language, but Mm -hmm. describing them as humps is that's about right. Very, very evocative. You know, you walk in with your shoulders slumped and uh, ready to not do a very good job. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it basically says we're uh, I'm going to need you to, uh, you know, help me uh, get some more guys um and uh, he explicitly asked him to uh forget my fucking name uh (laughs) meanwhile uh this is also the episode where we kind of have the creation of the a-team you see them all together in their in their lair and it's just like the the dankest fucking bat cave in the world i mean it is like (laughs) it is it's at the bottom of this federal building and it looks like it's mostly pipes it's kind of uh it's clearly they're sending a message like we don't want you guys to do any good police yeah. work well the the bosses have been forced to create this unit against their will uh which is basically a process of shaming them for not having done their own jobs like in the first place so of course right. they're not like super into the idea so they're like all right well uh, we're going to do this in name only, which is we're going to stick it in the fucking basement. We're not going to authorize shit and yeah. uh, hope it washes our hands of this whole thing. It's also funny because McNulty, when he goes from his house into work, it's actually a major upgrade in terms of how it looks and the amenities that are there. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, another day at the office, you yeah. know, taking his briefcase in there. He's used to, he walks he's in and to, he's like, whoa, furniture. Yeah. <laughs> he's used to seeing like the street, like above his forehead, like the street level is always somehow just a little bit of above his eye line, no matter where. Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> yeah. That dude is, um, yeah, he's usually, uh, below sea level is how he usually lives. So it's, kind of normal for him um but when they get in there everyone is clearly mad uh that mcnulty is the one who's the reason that they all have to spend however long in this dank basement somewhere and uh also just side note did you guys notice 
the epic matrix duster that Daniels <laughs> was wearing when he walks into the office. It's like the first in his very first scene, he looks like an anorexic Morpheus, just full on duster, like sliding yeah. on the ground. I mean, it's kind of impossible for him not to look like Skeletor just because he has that like pterodactyl body and he always he always looks like you know floaty and intimidating. Didn't he start selling cell phones? After after the wire, he was like a commercial guy for AT and T or something. Oh, I was is that really, right? I think so. I was really disappointed when I saw him. I think it was AT and T or Verizon. I was like, this is this is Daniels. He, this is beneath him to be selling these cell phones. Yeah, unless they were burners, in which case it would have worked nicely. Yeah, that would have been perfect if he was just selling burners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, fucking, he's like you know. Uh, well, he is kind of like the guy who shames you into doing the right thing. Like that's kind of his whole persona in this is that he you just he his eyes will bore into you until you uh you know try to bite the bullet and and uh and stop fucking around i mean granted his his job in this episode is to like teach his underlings how to cover up uh brutality but uh it's not because he wants to okay no but that is actually very much in line with what his character is so like i i think that if you're looking for like close something close to purity, um, probably Lester Freeman in like you know in the future of the series is the closest you're gonna get. Um, when it comes to Daniels, like he wants to be a good cop, but he wants to like play the game still. Well, he is a good you know cop in the sense that a good cop is one who obeys the chain of command. And right, does not right. does not betray the brotherhood. Not good like for society, but good in yeah. the sense as in like that's what you're supposed to do at that job. He's which like is... a moderate Democrat. That's what he feels <laughs> like to me. He's like something who's like you know stop stop trying to you know follow McNulty, who's like you know basically a a Bernie Sanders type or any of these like progressives. Like no, we got to follow the rules. We're going to change the system from the inside. You just have to let me be a part of it. When really. Like he kind of is, I mean, he will sell out a few times before he's shamed into action. I think he's always, he, he knows that he's a good cop, but he also knows that he's perpetually on the thinnest of ice because he is a good cop. So he knows that any slight misstep he gets, they're going to bust his ass. So he's like, okay, I can only be so good. Otherwise I'm going to just end up being out of a job. And wasn't the, what was the quote at the very end of this episode? Like you, the only way to win is if you don't, yeah, you you cannot lose war games. After I said that, that's that movie war games. (laughs) I think, isn't it? That's what they figure out at the end. Right. In this one, it's, you cannot lose if you do not play. Yeah. Uh, which uh, is, yeah, is yeah. basically his wife saying, like, you don't want to play these games because you lose no matter what. The department puts you in a case it doesn't want. You're giving people that are useless or untrustworthy. Correct. If you push too hard and any shit hits the fam, you'll be blamed for it. Correct. If you don't push hard enough and there's no arrest, you'll be blamed for that, too. Correct. The game is rigged, but you cannot lose if you do not play. I mean, a lot of his resentment towards McNulty is that it it takes a certain amount of like entitlement and uh, entitlement and having literally nothing to lose, right? Like in McNulty, order to be like that. Yeah, McNulty needs to like he he either needs to be secure in the idea that he's not going to lose his job or not care that he might lose his job, and and that's sort of like the Daniels character is naturally going to resent that because he's like, no, I need this fucking job, uh, right. so I have to toe the line to some extent. Daniels would have been a great spokesperson for DeVry 
to oh, do yeah. that shaming thing, like stare at you in your living room and be like, listen, yeah, I know you're on that herbal life bullshit right now. That's not going to cut it. You can post selfie videos on Instagram all day, yeah. but get off your ass and learn VCR repair. Yeah, I think of all the people on the show to that would scare me yelling at me, it's Daniels. Oh, yeah. Daniels is he he really is like got the. He's got the voice, like the timbre of an angry dad who's disappointed in you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, the the first scene that we see with uh, Daniels and uh, McNulty together uh, is interrupted with the introduction of uh, Prez Belusky. And I have a clip. What the fuck? I, he was uh, showing me the trigger pull on his Glock. <laughs> Detective? Officer Prez Belusky shot the wall, Lieutenant. Why? Why did you shoot the wall, Officer Presbulewski? I was just showing Carve how my trigger pull is light, you know? <laughs> I got it so it's real light. He took the clip out, boss. <laughs> but not the one in the chamber. No, I forgot the one in the chamber. Oh. You want to write on it? Write on what? Got to justify the use of deadly force. Against the plaster wall. Oh, damn. I, I always forget to take out the bullet in my gun before I show my friend how loose the trigger is. Yeah. The best part of it is, is his explanation, his excuse for why it happened. He's like, I just wanted to show him like how easy it is to like pull the trigger by accident on my gun. <laughs> like I basically designed the gun. I modded it so that if it falls, it will shoot somebody, which I think is fun. It's, but you know, like my gun kicks ass it'll it, it sometimes shoots things i don't want to but i was showing him exactly what i did i saw this youtube tutorial yeah so like, not my fault you know that thing with alec baldwin and rust <laughs> i wanted to do that where like i could accidentally just shoot somebody who was working for like the the idea that he wants to show his cop friend how easy it is for him to murder someone on the job is uh I mean, that's got to be real. That's got to be based oh, on something. I mean, real. that's like a car guy thing where it's like, oh yeah, I took off the, took off the deflector plates. Uh, not exactly street legal, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we that's the first time we see uh, Roland Presbalewski, and uh, it's also he mentions to uh, Daniels that uh, he was before that he was in quote casualty section, and he asked out of it, and just from like kind of researching what that means i think a casualty section is just uh it's a cushy desk job for people who are like quote injured mm -hmm. on the job and uh everyone was laughing about it um because of the fact that the reason he was there uh, is because he shot up his own car, which is explained <laughs> uh, in a great scene with uh, Rhonda Perlman. Presbalewski, him, I know. Yeah. Why was he in casualty section? He shot up his own car. He did what? He fired two clips into an unmarked car somewhere out in West Baltimore. Called in a signal 13 on the radio like he was under fire from a sniper. <laughs> he didn't hear about that? He stuck to his story for half a day till ballistics matched the bullet to his off-duty weapon. I just love the idea of him sticking to the story <laughs> for as long as possible. <laughs> Before someone's like, no, nah, dude, we got video proof of you shooting your own car. And he's like, all right, yeah, well, you know. Like <laughs> I like, and I just, I feel like this character is such a good example of like the things that The Wire does well and innovatively. Cause I mean, if you just take this guy on paper, he's the biggest piece of shit 
uh, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been so easy to just make him a completely like irredeemable scumbag. Right. But, just a villain. Yeah. Complete just a villain straight the villain. whole time. But they kind of, they kind of treat him like he is kind of a likable guy that is just doing a job that he's completely unsuited for. Yeah. He's a victim of his own like circumstance. Cause he, you find out that he's there um, because he married the uh the daughter of a major mm-hmm. in the baltimore city police um uh, valchek is the name of the major and he's like he's literally just a he's like a a, a fail stepson yeah. or he's like an a english, fail son-in-law he's like an english major who like decides he has to be a car guy for his uh his like redneck wife and it's <laughs> yeah. like and he knows he really actually doesn't know anything about cars so he's just like burning out the clutch and trying to prove himself to all these guys even though he has yes. no idea what he's doing yeah, yeah. Then, then they make him like a, a good teacher, like yeah. a likable teacher right. at the end. That's what we should do to every cop that gets fired. It's just like, okay, go teach middle school for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think 100%. that's what DeSantis is trying to do. That was, that was the... There was a thing the other day where it was like if you like you don't have to have a teaching uh, degree if you've been a if troop. You're, if you're a troop, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's like if you're a troop, then you can you can teach people uh, about <laughs> race science or whatever. Yeah, like that that whole thing is insane because that is literally just being like, um, all right, you either need a credential or you need to have almost flunked high school to the point at which you had to join the military in order to move forward with your life one or the other you can't you can't be uh dude if we got a bunch of presbaluskis out there it's gonna work out great yeah yeah but it, it is interesting the thing that this show does really well is like add so much humanity to the characters who you you would i think any other show would be like and that's the bad guy um and even President Belusky in this episode, it actually does feel like they're setting him up just to be this like kind of evil dumbass. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that happens. But then, you, but then you, when you see later. him, he's like, you can. They don't demonize him when he's on camera. They make him likable, like when he's sort of in the room, but kind of just like, ah, well, oopsie, kind of a guy yeah. who's always screwing yeah. up. Like mild manner, like Mr. Bean, if you yeah. were a cop. Yeah. yeah. But it turns out he's actually like Jussie Smollett, if you were a cop. Yeah, right. Just lying until the last possible moment. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, and also what we get out of uh, Pres Belusky, uh being, you know, finding out his history via Daniels is uh, he gets um, Sidner. He says, I got your worst guy because he, he took him from this guy, Contrell. He took him from his unit and said, I got your worst guy. You got to give me your best guy. So then next episode, we're going to meet Detective Sidner, who is wonderful. Um, we also see for the first time Lester Freeman. Uh, and he is opening his scene by carving little furniture at mm-hmm, his desk. Mm-hmm. The fuck is that? Armoire. Louis XIV's. I mean, what is it? A toy? I just, I just think is uh, is generally wonderful. They borrowed um, that from uh, Lena Dunham's directorial de- debut. That's Tiny, right, Tiny that's Furniture. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Lena Dunham, co-writer of The Wire. <laughs> also, I I respect the fact that in this world you can you can be a police officer and skate by for like fifteen years, yes. never doing work and actually doing your side work at your desk, which has nothing to do with your actual job, like remotely. You're actively. Yeah. 
not doing your job. And people are like, you know what? As long as, as long as you're not making me do more paperwork as yeah. your boss, you can carve your dollhouses. That's fine. I mean, it's that's so why, funny. that's why <laughs> Lester Freeman and Presbolewski uh, ultimately like they make such a good team. Cause you got Freeman who like has the goods as a cop to the point that he doesn't even need to pretend to dress like a cop act like a cop do police work like he shows up in a sweater vest and is carving doll furniture at his desk yeah. whereas you know you got Presbolewski which is completely the opposite end of the spectrum which he knows he's he's so insecure because he knows he has no idea what he's doing that he's like trying yeah. to impress the other guys with the lightness of his trigger pull <laughs> and uh and and pistol whip random people yeah I I also do love that like which is Freeman, I mean another truism in life which is that the most dangerous type of person is the person who's like trying so hard to prove that they are something like that yeah someone, yeah. someone that just wants to be a cop and say that they're a cop as yeah. opposed to somebody that wants to do police work yes. yeah I forget who said it is the most dangerous person is a rich kid with a gun it's or a sissy like with that? a gun and I believe it was Gore Vidal yeah you give a give a sissy a gun and he'll kill everything in the room. Right. Yeah. And that's that's essentially what uh, Presbolewski is at this uh, point in the series. And meanwhile, Freeman is I mean, he's just doing what I do at desk jobs, which is doing other jobs while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, because I know I'm being paid. The fucked up thing is that it's he's a cop. <laughs> and like <laughs> that's the one thing where it's like you have to remember as you're watching the show about like drunkards and fools is like all of these people have a very important job yeah but that i they think should be doing I, no but i see i see i think that that is what most people most like like the worst thing that jobs do is give people busy work uh, sure like sure it's, yeah you know when i worked at a packing house in my first job it was like when the fucking trucks came in, you unloaded them, you tagged them all. And that was like the fun part. But then you'd have like two hours of downtime when there's no truck. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some asshole manager would always come by and be like, all right, you guys got to sweep. Like someone's always making you do some shit that doesn't need to be done, uh, which right. makes all like lower level jobs miserable instead of right. making you feel uh, like you have a skill and you can exercise it when there's work to be done. And that's, I feel like it, the world runs better when people uh, accept the fact that there's not always work to do. And when there is, like, you bust your ass and do it. And when there's not, you can just yeah. chill the fuck out. Like a Montessori job. Like, a, instead yeah. of a school, it's a job. <laughs> it's like actually a great idea. Yeah, cops like teachers should actually get the summers off. Yeah, that would, why not? That would be a fun addition, too. But, yeah, Lester, he, he understands more than anybody. Like, he knows the consequences of actually doing his job are right. getting fired from your job. Yeah. So if, if you're too good at it, you will, you will be fired. You will be demoted. So he got demoted and then he spends every waking hour not doing his job and he's rewarded with a paycheck for that. So when he sees this case come up, I don't know, I forget exactly what it is about this case, but whatever it is, he, for whatever reason is compelled mm -hmm. to actually risk his job by doing his job on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that'll come up, I think in the next couple of episodes uh, when he, for the first time in probably 15 years, does actual police work. Well, he's a guy like, who wow. likes little puzzles and crosswords and Sudoku and making doll right. furniture. And so as soon as the case becomes like a little puzzle for him to solve, he's like, oh, I can get into this shit now. Right. This is like one yeah. of my mystery novels that I love so much. 
And just to clarify, when I say that the job of a cop is important, what I mean is uh, someone who is paid to solve murders, solving them, I think is a good job to have. The sure. actual job of the police is actually, uh, I think, actively harmful to society because it's usually just how am I going to lock up people for being addicted to drugs? Um, so, yeah, then... Uh, the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, we have the uh, we have Lieutenant Daniels uh, trying to do kind of like outline 
the target. He does like the brief of like, hey, this is our target is Avon Barksdale. And uh, in true The Wire fashion, they decide to completely steamroll this like classic mm-hmm. fucking cop trope moment by just having uh, a bunch of chaos in the background. And I, I have a clip of that. If you've ever worked with me before, you know I don't want cowboy shit and I don't want surprises. Task? <laughs> Just a toilet flush. Avon Barksdale. Right as he says that. <laughs> Primary investigators, Greg's from my unit, and Greg's from my unit, and McNulty from Homicide. They keep the file. Let's start with, we've got not. Let's start with we have nine or ten open homicide files to work back through for leads. Freeman, Prisbaluski are going to start out in office on clerical duty. You need a prosecutor. No! Turn this shit off! <laughs> what? <laughs> you need a prosecutor. No, we don't have enough deaths yet, so uh, we got to share. Y'all for purchasing? No. <laughs> He definitely love- thought about having something fall over and a cat scream in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, okay, exactly. that's a little too far. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely like a lot of silly shit pitched in that room. Toilet flush, pigeon flapping. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I almost think it would be interesting just to see the uh, the foley artist doing. Is if it's just one guy doing all these sound effects for <laughs> this is one scene. He's like banging on a pipe and he's yelling, "Hey, what?" What? Yeah. what? I love it. They got the fucking little John hype men shit going on in the background. <laughs> so fucking funny. Um, yeah. So uh, cutting to the D'Angelo. I said none pizza left beef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, D'Angelo and McNulty. So let's get into this. Uh, so we start off at the pit with uh, Poot, Wallace, and D are all sitting around uh, eating some chicken nuggets um, and sitting on that big couch, which uh, I love that. Uh, I love that they just found a couch. It's um, the Snick couch, right? That's it's, the, it's are definitely you the, the dark? That is the, the Snick couch, 100%. Like, it is, that Snick couch went through some hard times after Are You Afraid of the Dark was canceled. And um, ended up just in the projects, you know, RIP. Um, but Wallace is like talking about the guy who in- invented uh, the Chicken McNugget and how he must be rich. And then D'Angelo ends up explaining exactly why he isn't and describing like division of labor and labor capitalism <laughs> and like corporate structures all through Chicken Nuggets. And it's like one of the one of the greatest scenes, I think, in this entire season because it's uh, it just so succinctly puts the problem of like labor versus managers in in just the perfect perspective uh, or labor versus owners. And uh, I have uh, that clip. I think the man got paid. Who? Man who invented these. Shit, you richer than a motherfucker. Why? You think you get a percentage? The man who invented them things, just some sad ass down at the basement of McDonald's. Picking up some shit to make some money for the real players. Nah, man, that ain't right. It ain't about right. It's about money. Now, you think Ronald McDonald gonna go down that basement and say, hey, Mr. Nugget, you the bomb. We selling chicken faster than you can tear the bone out. So I'm gonna write my clowny-ass name on this fat-ass check for you. And the nigga who invented them things, still working in the basement for regular wage, thinking of some shit to make the fries taste better, some shit like that. Still have the idea, though. 
I love Wallace's little um, still had the idea, though, line, mm-hmm. because it kind of encapsulates, I think, the ho- like what what ends up happening is you think like good ideas become capital to you. So like even if you still end up poor, you know, and and you're not thanked or paid well for inventing something and something is stolen from you. He's like, well, you can you can still feel good about yourself because you had the idea. He still uh, he, he still can never got take the, that away from you. Yeah, he can never take it away. He from still you. got the exposure though, right? I mean, they didn't... right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I had this exact same conversation a couple weeks ago, but it was about the guy that invented the mountains turning blue on a can of Coors Light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were like, that guy is the the biggest genius in the history of beer. Yeah. And we we did a tour of the Coors Brewery, and I asked the guy that was giving us the tour. I was like, who who around here is responsible for the mountains turning blue? And can I shake their hand? And uh, the guy was like, actually, that was a, a local printer, or I guess he worked at a printing company. And he had the bright idea to reach out to Coors because he loved Coors so much. He was like, hey, I think that we just developed this new kind of ink. And I think that if you made the mountains turn blue uh, because of the temperature of the beer, we could do some serious business. And Coors was like, yeah, okay. And so then they developed a partnership with that guy's company that he worked for. So he didn't get he didn't get oh. anything. He just had I'm sure he maybe got a commission out of it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that guy's name should be on every bottle of beer sold. Well, he did go on to create the TV show Blue Mountain State. I don't know if you remember. That's that. true. Good. Yeah. Good for yeah. him. It's kind of a one trick pony. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what else could I turn blue? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's funny because like on the Wikipedia page for this episode, uh, there's a uh, note that says. Uh, Ironically for D'Angelo, the man who invented the chicken McNugget, Herb Lottman, was in fact a very wealthy and successful man, founder of one of the largest beef and chicken suppliers in the world. Uh, His net worth was estimated at $15 billion. So then that sort of sent me down the rabbit hole of like who actually invented uh, the chicken nugget. And um, so this guy, Herb Lottman, he sort of had this uh meat company and and was you know he was basically rich before he invented the chicken nugget quote unquote but um yeah so i i saw i found another article about the actual creation of the chicken nugget and it was uh herb supplied the idea and the chicken but the actual recipe for the mcnuggets would be created by renee Arend. Arend was a luxembourg native uh, the first executive chef that mcdonald's had ever hired to give a little more design to their foods uh Arend, claimed that Chicken McNuggets were his greatest creation, even though he had cooked for the Queen, Cary Grant, Sophia Loren, and the King of Belgium. So uh, it was actually some uh, Frenchy dude named... A uh, Luxembourgian yeah. did it. It's in, and, he, and he seemed like he was pretty prominent before he invented the McNugget, too. So It's the exception know. that proves the rule. Yeah, I think so. I, I do think, though, that, that Europeans sometimes are better at designing American products for Americans than we are. Because they have yeah. this cartoonish image in their brain, which is actually <laughs> very correct. Percent correct. Like yeah. They fucking nailed us. Yeah. You know, like they just based on stereotype alone, they probably came up with that Arby's or not the Arby's. It was the Hardee's thick burgers. Remember when everybody was trying to get healthy? Yeah. And Hardee's was like, guess what? We're going to do a 2400 calorie burger. Yeah. And you fatsoes are going to love it. I bet yeah. you that was designed yeah. by a Frenchman. Yeah. Yeah. D- the, the Danish definitely invented the KFC uh, double down uh, fucking <laughs> yeah. chicken sandwich. <laughs> Like yeah. no, no way that they were like, oh yeah, Americans they uh, want uh, no bread, uh, two chicken. 
Yeah, the guy, the guy, there's a guy in Italy right now that's smoking cigarettes, weighs 98 pounds and probably 105 years old. And he was like, you know what? Fuck it. Tell him to supersize it. Make the large bigger. <laughs> a bigger gulp. Make a gulp so big it's as big as swimming pool. Oh, man. He's Russian yeah. now. Yeah, I can't do accents, but, uh, you know. That was good. Yeah. Hey, yeah, why not? Uh, but, yeah, fucking, I, I do love that the, uh, basically the point of that scene, uh, which is another theme throughout this show, is, um, well, why go above and beyond at your job if you are never, ever going to benefit from it in any way? And uh, that's, like, systemic in both, I guess, the drug game in this case and in the uh, police game. And every um, every game, basically. In all the games. Yeah. Um, so then uh, at the pit, uh, McNulty and Bunk uh, sit with D and Bodie uh, on the Snick couch and talk about uh, the murders. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, another said- thing that this show sort of subverts is like the idea that uh, like any other show, the higher you go in the drug game, the more evil the person is going to be. Um, right. And in this, it's sort of like it opens with a dead witness where, you know, they killed some guy even after they won the case. They just killed some poor fucking dude, uh, yeah. you know, just to prove a point. So you think like the guys that did it are going to be sort of uniquely evil. But instead, it's just them having like a cookout and mm-hmm. kind of chilling out and having a good time and playing with babies and making some yeah. pretty good points when they talk to D'Angelo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. The The nature of evil on the show is so uh, – it's it's not um, a human level of evil. It's a machine level. Yes. Like the evil is in the machinery. Yeah. The evil is not in the people. And yeah, that, you're all I think trapped is... in this sort of fucked up system of uh, yeah. reward and consequence. And I think that's like a super important thing to uh, to show because, you know, uh, you've got, you know, you've got people who want to say that fucking, oh, well, they're drug dealers and they're all bad. Um, or it's like, oh, these cops, you know, they're all pieces of shit. Yeah. And it's like, no, they're 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 all in the show, at least, you know, the shows them all is like being general, generally flawed human beings, uh, but not explicitly evil in most cases you don't think stringer likes being evil for the sake i think he gets off on on being evil a little bit he knows how to play the game and he's definitely like part of he is in the machine and he knows what he has to do to get to a certain level and he has no problems doing it but also i i don't know throughout the throughout the series i feel like stringer bell is he's one guy that actually gets off on it yeah he's definitely more like openly iconoclastic than like avon who avon is kind of just like sure. i want to have a good life and uh chill yeah, out but i also see stringer as like you see stringer in later seasons seasons two and three really kind of wanting to avoid um doing violence because he wants he wants to be rich he doesn't want to be a murderer. I think he only gets off on murder when it's something that uh, is going to benefit him, uh, like financially, or it's uh, or he has some pride built up into it. I kind of, I don't, I don't. He wants to be like. I don't a, see Stringer as evil. I see him as more ambitious. Like he wants to be sure. He wants to be like the kingpin kind of guy, right? And to be the kingpin, that's the thing. If you're if you're trying to be the kingpin in the drug game. 
uh, you're going to have at least enough of a screw loose to be okay with murder. And it's kind of like saying is like, you know, Tony Soprano evil or not. It's like, well, yeah, he's a sociopath. A lot of these people are sociopaths, but it's also the system that they're like kind of trying to navigate uh, benefits sociopaths. So that's why they're all in positions of power. So it's like if you have this giant sociopath filter, it's hard to say whether or not like, all you know all these people it's not a story about individually evil people it's a story about a a giant fucking like uh a gold miner's fucking plate mm-hmm. and it's like all the pieces of gold are just fucking evil people who are okay with death uh that's a yeah that's, that's a great analogy yeah I like that it. works i like that. yeah uh okay so they decide to jam up angelo uh d'angelo and take him into uh into an interrogation room and jimmy and bunk are are like they notice that like d is soft so they're gonna go with uh the deuce which i don't know they show, what they, they kind of show how the police are like the most desensitized to like this kind of uh like violence and yeah. tragedy but they do they will um utilize it to their advantage always always cynically like the very first scene it's like them just talking about this guy getting shot in the head and most of the talk is like oh man more fucking yeah. paperwork and... <laughs> but like what you know but but once they once they get a chance to they still know how to utilize all of the romantic and tragic elements uh to their advantage they just do it like completely cynically so yeah like you said earlier if, if there was a law and order scene this scene would have ended the second that Ava or that D'Angelo started to write the letter and they would not have shown them outside the interrogation room yeah. and having them be like, Oh yeah, I just got that picture off my desk. That's my family. Right. <laughs> exactly. Know, like, they kind exactly. of show that for what it is. And people forget that the cops are just hundred percent allowed to lie to you in an interrogation. Right. I don't know if, if you guys have fallen down the same rabbit hole I have, but mm-hmm. I got really for like a month into watching uh, police investigations and well, not really the investigations, just the interrogations on YouTube and then showing the different techniques that they use and when the cops are lying to you and how they're try how they try to get you to like gradually admit to uh to a murder. So mm-hmm. they'll have a murder suspect and they'll be like, you know, I, you, you sound like a good guy. You probably didn't mean to shoot the guy, you know, like maybe <laughs> yeah. it, like I can see it in your eyes. You're not evil. Maybe the gun just kind of went off and it was a mistake. And the second you admit to that tiny little thing, yeah. and then they spring the bigger thing on you. They've already got you. And yeah. that's exact. That's exactly what this is showing. It's not like law and order where, you know, a stabler takes his shirt off and starts sweating on you. Yeah. Immediately, <laughs> you know, you become a born again Christian. You're like, yeah, I have sinned. Yeah, it's not like like in the traditional cop show, it's like the cop would be the true believer of how sad it is and why like this yeah. is societally important. But this show sort of shows it more for what it is, which is very similar to like a guy trying to sell you a timeshare, which is just like yeah. blatantly preying on like your weaknesses and uh, and vanity. And, uh, you know, it's like owning a home for one quarter of the price. <laughs> yeah. I just and remember you can sit- go there for a month, a year. <laughs> Sitting through okay. my one my one timeshare presentation that uh like an ex got me into because she wanted like a free massage. And damn, that's so much work for just a yeah, free massage. Just like, Holy shit. Like the guy Not was even just- for the, the free trip. It was like I just want the massage. The guy was just like openly I mean not openly, but transparently using like pickup artist tactics on me where he's like you know, he starts off like 
cajoling and then and then mm-hmm. when you're like yeah yeah i don't really care and then they start negging you where they're like oh, ah, yeah. you know maybe if you're not that cool and you don't have any money like yeah you probably yeah. couldn't afford something <laughs> like this and i, I was <laughs> down in orlando one time and we saw that you could do a timeshare presentation thing and get like half off medieval times which is way better <laughs> than a massage yeah and i mean if you know anything about me you know that i love a turkey leg so uh, yeah. we, we sent our friend taylor because we were all under 21 and he had a fake id that said he would so that's the first thing you had to be 21 to get into here yeah. and um so taylor goes in and he's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna sit through this hour-long presentation then guess what eight of us going to medieval times for the price of four baby and so I mean, that's hours, pretty great two hours later we get a call from him and he's like asking us for money and he's like <laughs> it's a great opportunity to build my credit <laughs> just completely got hoodwinked by this guy yeah, yeah what the cops usually do their their biggest ace in the hole that they have is well first they make you like tired uncomfortable mm-hmm. they don't feed you they make you cold usually won't let you use the bathroom unless it's like once every six hours right and then to get you to finally confess they're the biggest thing they go for is like hey like i'll be your friend if you mm-hmm. confess like yeah. I, I will help you out i i want to like you so much and I know that you're a good person. I just need you to be honest with me so then I can start helping you. So yeah. they like dangle the opportunity to be friends with them. And that's what usually gets most people to be like, okay, you know what? I'm a good person. I want you to like me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll go to jail for 30 years. I know already that that would work on me. I know already. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and honestly, through like the first 10 years of that sentence, I'd be like, at least I have a friend. Like I would be able <laughs> to feel good about it for a while because that's literally all I care about. Um, but they like play on his heartstrings on, on, uh, D'Angelo's heartstrings as they can tell that he's, uh, that he's not built for this game. He's like the they... of the drug game a little bit. Yeah, totally. He is. That's exactly what he is. Uh, and, uh, I, I have a, a clip of that. He would get up every day, go out and do maintenance work. Then on the weekends, he was driving a cab out to the airport. Two jobs. And he volunteers what little time he has left at his church. Church going man. A Bethel man. A deacon. Two jobs and three kids. Did you know that? Three kids. Young too. Crying their little orphan asses to sleep over this shit because they lost their mama some years ago. Now they out there on their own. Crying crying their little orphan asses to sleep. Just laying it on so thick. And uh and they actually get him to write a, a, a letter of apology, which I, I like for me, like half of me when I first saw it was like, what? I just uh, is anyone that fucking stupid? Oh, yes. But are. then I remember that, like, I would do it if they said that they'd be my best friend forever. And I'm like, yeah, I yeah. would. I would <laughs> no, also do that. There's Especially scene- if I know I didn't do it. I'd be like, well, first of all, I'm innocent and no one innocent has ever gone to jail. Right. And <laughs> well, there's a- and second of all, I think the kids would like an apology letter. There's a scene later in The Wire where they're using a uh, copy machine and they've told the criminal oh. that it's like a lie detector. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's like an actual an- anecdote. Like that came straight yeah. out of a real thing that David Simon like witnessed when he was like embedded with homicide cops. Yeah. Can you imagine like what would you write in that letter? If you were, if you were D'Angelo, if you were writing a letter, it, let's say that you were innocent yeah. and some, somebody asked you to write a letter. It's like, Hey, sorry, your dad died. Yeah. Love, love D'Angelo. Love yeah. D'Angelo. If you need anything, um, call my uncle. He's got money. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I it was kind of crazy because like my uncle kills people. Uh, <laughs> That's just probably like a coincidence. Your dad, but like <laughs> I, I now I'm going to tell him to stop doing that from now yeah. on because you're an orphan. I don't want him to do that to anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to. Um, I could probably get you half off at medieval times. <laughs> uh, I mean, but... impressive that they didn't like uh, milk the obvious comedy out of it, which, you know, of what the letter would actually look like and how many grammatical and spelling errors there would have been for this guy who's probably like dropped out of school in like seventh yeah. grade to become uh, like a corner kid. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, you know, this the this show is like is hilarious and it also has just enough restraint to not get too clowny. Yeah. Um, which uh, which I like. Um, but not still. It has uh, not enough restraint to have a uh, lawyer who is not the most Jewish caricature of all time. And this is uh, the next scene in which uh, Maurice Levy. Uh, finally shows up to stop this interrogation. That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! The defense never rests. Hey, my name is Dr. Dragging me from the Levy family preserve on a Friday night. My apologies. Yvette made brisket. Good. When served hot, one or two. What the fuck? Stop writing now. Just shut up! Listen, you don't say anything, you don't do anything, you don't write anything. Do you hear me? Shut up. Sometimes do I have to tell you people the same fucking thing? I'm a big fiddler on the roof head, mm. so uh, mm-hmm. I had to uh, put that in. Uh, also Jewish, so me and David Simon allowed to do these jokes. Can I, uh, can I say, if I were a snitch man? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you can. Um I'm yes. German. That's close enough. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically the same. Um, so yeah, they uh, Levy takes him out and is just like completely like the face that he gives when he finds out that he wrote a letter of apology is just like it's the perfect face because it's someone who's just like this is I don't know how many ways I can tell everyone that I represent. Just don't do anything they tell you to do. All you have to do is not do anything. All you have to do is not do anything. Yeah. Have you seen uh, those uh, those lawyers on TikTok that do Shut the Fuck Up Friday? Yes. Yes. Those guys guys are actually the most effective legal counsel in the world. 100%. 100%. Those guys, uh, honestly, it's like heroic shit because it's so – it needs to be drilled in everyone's head, especially young people on TikTok. Uh, that's like, people need to know, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> just shut the fuck up. That's all you got to do. Um, but, uh, but he still, he wrote the letter. Um, D goes to the Barksdale cookout and Avon holds his baby as Stringer and Avon both sexually harass his baby yeah, mama. Yeah, you can tell his, his baby mama is going to fuck. Uh, One of them. Yeah. He's going to fuck Avon at some point, clearly. Yeah. Avon or Stringer or both. Um, and, uh, yeah, it is very funny where they're just like, Hey, how you doing girl? Spin around. (laughs) I mean, just the, the, the power (laughs) to just tell someone to spin around, make your wife spin for me. Um, Avon's going to have that for sure. (laughs) And there's, there's nothing you can do about it at that point. There's like a look, I think on, uh, D'Angelo's face where he's, he just like acquiesces to the fact that yeah all right my uncle is going to sleep with my girlfriend right That's, totally 100 percent happen again 
Yeah, and like the way that uh, Avon's looking at the baby, like half suggesting, like, ah, oh, this could be mine. <laughs> Just, I love that. Like Avon's, like, yeah, I got the rid of prima nocta. I yeah. can fuck everyone's wife. I mean, if all uh, his social status is tied up in like being like a drug dealer, you don't want to introduce your girlfriend to more powerful, uh, more rich drug dealers. That dude, hundred percent. <laughs> Hundred percent. I would. Uh, I remember for years. I never wanted to introduce any of my girlfriends to my brother, because I was. I always thought he was just like a, a hotter version of me, and uh, I was just afraid that just for funsies. This is just like, going to end up with him becoming an incel once once he discovers that his oh, girls are home, homie hopping. Then yeah. he's going to be like, wait, now I'm now I'm black pilled. I see I see the game for what it truly is. He becomes a groiper. Yeah, how, just, how come there are never any mass shooters inside of drug cartels? <laughs> you do wonder that. Not a single one. Um, okay, so uh, basically, the uh, Avon and. Um, D'Angelo storyline ends with uh, Avon being like, uh, hey, D, you don't have to apologize to anything and please stop worrying about this. You're being weird. Um, and then back to uh, the storyline with Prez. Prez, Herc, and Carver are all getting drunk by their car and complaining about the type of work they're doing. Um, and they're like, hey, I've got an idea. Let's drunk drive. <laughs> over to the PJs and quote, let these motherfuckers know who we are, whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. And uh, they just start jacking up random black people that they see trying to enter and exit the building where they live. And um, yeah. And I like when the shit hits the fan, you know, like yeah. after, after, after they've already, they've tried to assert their authority there and it's sort of gone bad because they haven't caught anyone doing anything. They're right. Just, no one's done anything wrong. They've just, and they're just, they're so convinced that this is a good method. It just blows my mind where they're just like, they're, they're going to hold something on them. And it's like, yeah. bro. And I think, like, I think the deep truth of this scene is that I feel like we like to imagine that when a cop shoots like an unarmed person or like, or does some police brutality that it, it comes out of like some God complex or like being a bully. Whereas like, I think this scene does a good job that I think most of the time it probably comes out of fear because they go in there and they're trying to be like the big guy. Uh, but then they realize like at some point they're just like three dudes with pistols standing in the courtyard of like a giant high rise building right. where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people who, if they want to riot, like you're fucked. Like all you have is, all you have is like 15 bullets or whatever. Like good, good luck with yeah, that. No, you're and, not wrong. Cops are pussies. Go on. <laughs> I, I mean, I just think that you, if you overplay your authority, then you end up in a situation where now you're afraid. And the fear is generally what happens is generally where like the shootings and brutality uh, stem okay. from. I think I, 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 yeah, I, I do think that that, that can be true. But in this case, it's not actually what happens. The actual brutality that happens is after they jack up some people, find nothing, and just yell into the ether at the well, PJs. Well, they realize like, their only power is the power to be able to scare people into doing right. what they want. And then there's some kid who's sitting on the car basically telling Prez Belusky, like, yeah, I don't respect you. I'm not scared of you. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not scared of you. So then he has to go to violence as like a way of like, oh, well, you should because I can do this. Right. And yeah. I, I think that is a God. That's a God complex. I mean, what you're talking about was like someone with a short temper who was felt disrespected and had enough power to just 
feel okay cold oh, i think he guy. was f- afraid in that moment he was afraid you don't because, think he, no he no, wasn't came, afraid. i think that came out of fear because he's afraid because he's like in that situation where if they don't respect his authority then they can fuck him up no. like if they don't respect the fact that you have a gun and you could shoot them uh then you think, actually I, okay yeah then you have I to think, like reassert- i think it's insecure it's insecurity exactly. for yeah. sure. I, I I don't know if maybe fear, maybe insecurity, but what it is, he sees a kid and he's like, well, I, there's no possible way for me to make this kid do what I want him to do. Right. Besides yeah. physical force. So that's really all I've got. And I think that with the cops, especially like Prez and Herc throughout this series, they usually operate like they're, I don't think that they're, busting bad guys because they hate drugs and hate what it does to the community. (laughs) I think they're busting bad guys or or drug dealers because they're not following their rules. Right. And they're going against the police rules. Right. That's what really gets them pissed off. It's not so much like trying to do a public good. It's just like, Oh, this guy is my enemy. He won't listen to me. I better, I better arrest him. And I think it's like, there was like an old West uh, sort of philosophy that like your gun is much more, powerful when it's in the holster um Mm -hmm. because then there's like the threat of violence whereas once you pull it out then you actually have to use it and uh like that's a lot more dangerous of a situation for you than just have it like having the threat of violence like once you once you start having to call your bluff then it Mm -hmm. shit starts to go wrong right but i just want to say that like the power trip that uh, aspect of this is like really, really important. Like it, it is, he makes sure, him but when feel the real violence inse- happens, it's insecurity. It's like he's yeah. when he cold cocks the kid, he does it because of the fact that this guy is, I think, like you were saying, not, not uh, following their rules. And I think that level of hierarchy is really, really important to these guys, just like it is in every like facet of society. Everyone's got like a, a, a personal hierarchy in wh- whatever, you know, uh, community or whatever job that they have. And they know that they are to be respected. And the fact that this kid wants to mouth off and I fuck him. He's like, oh, I need to put this dude in his place. I think, I think that- if it was a, if it was a grown man, though, I don't think he would have done that. I think because it's a kid. And yes. it's so it's such yes. an easy target that that to me goes back to the insecurity where he's like, yeah. OK, this is a this is somebody that I can flex my authority. at. Right. And no one will make you feel more insecure than a kid who's no, mouthing sure. off. No, there's yeah. nothing you hate and feel more disrespected than when a kid is a sh- little shit to you. Um, but he yeah, he ends up blinding him. Uh, with the with his gun, uh, and uh, and then they cause a riot. And the craziest, the funniest thing about this riot is, um, you know, before that, uh, Presbulewski shot up his own car and called in a signal thirteen. Um, then when they all start uh, getting shot at and like bottles thrown on their squad car. They actually do call in a signal 13, which I was like, oh, shit, it happened again. Um, And also, while Herc is like on the ground pretending he got shot and Carve is calling in, Prisbalewski is just shooting randomly (laughs) at the building. Just shooting. Well, again, because the gun, like having the gun is a certain kind of power. But once you pull it out, like it immediately becomes impotent because like yes. now you actually have to like kill people or else it's worthless like you yeah like, that, yeah but you know just to get back to this point um about fear versus like power trip um 
he asks Presbaluski Daniels when he shows up to the scene and he first, you know, scolds them for like, what did we learn from this? You know, what valuable information did we acquire from you going into the projects drunk at 3 a.m. and just getting the, the shit kicked out of you? Um, uh, he asks, who did this? And Presbaluski admits it. And uh, and Daniels asks him why and then uh, coaches him. And I have a clip. Why? He pissed me off. No, Officer Prisbaluski, he did not piss you off. He made you fear for your safety and that of your fellow officers. See, I think to me that that spells out pretty much like his initial reaction. Why did you do this? This kid pissed me off. Yeah, he pissed him off because he wasn't respecting his authority. And if right. if people are not respecting your authority in that situation, they're going to realize that there are 300 of them and three of you. And yeah. that's a scary position to be in. Yeah, like, yeah, for once sure. Once you take and authority out of the equation, now you're just uh, now you just have a smaller gang and you right. realize and if you're, what insecure if you're, position that is. If you're called in front of a trial board, too, uh, and someone asks you what happened, you can't be like, oh, he pissed me off, dude. He was eating chips. Like, he thought he was <laughs> yeah. so hot, but yeah, he's not. That's so annoying, though. Like, when, when somebody, if it's a kid that's talking shit to you and they're snacking at the same time, that that would probably set me off. It's like this person doesn't even care enough <laughs> to put down, like, the, the flaming Hot Cheetos or whatever they're eating to There's, actually, like, talking, focus on talking shit. Talking he's talking with casual mouthful. shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's like a subgenre of like fight videos online, which is uh, kids getting their ass kicked uh, who deserve it mm. uh, that I will <laughs> watch every once in a while. There's only so many of those videos that exist. Um, but the ones that do exist are like mostly from like Russia and shit. It'll be like a, a pack of wild Russian, you know, like fifth graders will just start kicking an old man and then he'll take his belt off and whip one of them to death. But there's this one where <laughs> there's this one where this kid AKA is catharsis. It's it's very, very cathartic. Uh, but there's one where there's this, like this kid, he's like a middle school kid and he's like fucking with this like middle aged, like fucking camp counselor looking dude. Um, he looks like he's like a, maybe a, a teacher or like a summer school teacher. And the kid keeps like pushing him. But the dude is bigger than him, and eventually the the fucking middle aged dude just throws him to the ground, and the kid starts squealing, <laughs> and I want that to be my ringtone. I just love the I love the sound of a uh, of a child in pain who is like who who's never had consequences to their action. It's like when George Bush spanks Bart Simpson. Mm. It's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's exact. Someone's got to do it. There's yep. nothing. There's nothing nicer than that. Um. Anyways, yeah. I don't usually like kids getting beat, but watch those videos. Okay. Anyways, uh, then uh, Daniel's coaches his officers, and then has dinner with his wife uh, Marla, who tells him, you know, the game is rigged. You can't lose if you don't play. And our final ending scenes are Jimmy. Real quick on, on that oh, yeah. dining scene. Um, yeah. I don't know if you caught this, but Daniels is the kind of guy. Do you think it's his decision or his wife's to have tasteful piano music playing in the background <laughs> as they eat dinner? I didn't know people did that. Like if I, yeah. if somebody invited me over for dinner and they put on uh, like, I don't, I don't know what channel on Sirius XM that would be like mm -hmm. Liberace radio. Gro or whatever. Right. Country. 
Yeah, I, I would leave at that point. I'd be like, you're going to murder me. Yeah, yeah. I think no, that, that is, was that was yeah. a that was an ambitious woman trope in the late '90s, uh, early 2000s. I think that also shows up in uh, uh, American Beauty, where you know, yeah. the very ambitious real estate wife she wants to have that that family dinner with the piano music playing uh, mm-hmm. piano music and a power suit while you're sipping a red mm-hmm. that's yeah that is yeah, like with the, with the very angular crystal glasses right yeah with the red wine in it yeah that's yeah. that is late 90s you're right just a gi- yeah. just a glass of dago red the size of a punch bowl in front of you yeah right? yeah <laughs> if i if i were on a date and they were serving that to me i would assume that whatever meat or protein was on the plate was human yeah <laughs> Oh, finish your human meat. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Marla basically uh, tells him to not play the game, which uh, kind of impossible. Um, and our ending scenes are Jimmy is getting drunk alone in his car and he sees uh, a couple of kids breaking into a car and he tries to like stop them and he slips on the grass and laughs at himself again that's like it's like the perfect wire mix of um of a trope subversion mixed with a tried and true trope which is like yeah they're subverting the trope of like the heroic police officer but mm-hmm. at the same time they're giving you like the classic uh rascally rascally lovable drunk where mm-hmm. like he's very He's very cool hand Luke where, you know, he, oh, yeah. he, he, he slips on the ground while he's trying to yell at these kids and drops his badge, which is hilarious. Uh, and he can still laugh at himself. And so yeah. you're like, ah, we There's still love just, that guy. Yeah, something you love about McNulty. Just like uh, he's um, he's just all chaos and uh there's this like, I don't know, lovable fuckboy energy that he has mm-hmm. where you get you get why you get he... why therapy doesn't work on the Irish. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> he also understands why his fuck-ups are funny, which is nice. Yeah. I think other cops, like if that happened to Herc and he fell on the ground, he would have taken out his gun and just started firing. He, he, he would, would have just shot that, someone. Oh, yeah. That embarrassment converts into violence instead of converting into, into yes. laughter at your own self. It's also nice foreshadowing of, of McNulty's later scene, which is maybe my favorite scene in the entire series where he tries to turn that corner in his car. <laughs> and he keeps fucking it up. Oh yeah. my god! I, when McNulty's drunk in his car, you know shit's about to pop off. Yeah. Yes. He's also like the reason that he is sort of like the best investigator is because he uh, he's the least interested in moving up the ranks and also like the least insecure about you know like having authority. Like he doesn't those two yeah. things that drive most of the people around him. Like he doesn't give a shit about. Yeah, he's kind of it's interesting to like view him as a character who's committing a sort of Irish suicide where he's not going to like kill himself. You know, he's not he's not going to like, you know, he's an Irish Catholic. He's, he can't kill himself. Jesus doesn't like it when you kill yourself. He but tried he to give is... himself the potato virus. <laughs> yeah. Is that the same thing as Irish goodbye and Irish suicide? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Oh, yeah. It's killing yourself with no note. Yeah, no, yeah no killing note. yourself with no note. <laughs> but like the longest, slowest way to burn everything down type of suicide where he's like first i commit career suicide then my liver explodes um and yeah it's kind of um i don't know it makes him it makes him uh a pure kind of anti-hero because you're just like when you don't give a fuck you're a fun character to watch you know i think he sees himself in that scene as he would have seen a cop trying to bust him when he was a kid and the cop like screams at him and yes. falls down. He's able to have that like self-awareness where he yeah. can laugh about it. 
Yeah, he had a little flashback to when he was just like a little street mick running around. That would have been hilarious if a cop had fallen down when he was trying to chase me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then the very, very last scene, Daniels gets a call and finds out the kid who Presbulewski pistol whipped is blind in one eye now. And that is the end of the episode. Real, real low note to end that episode. It's, it's I thought ended by sad consequences, and everything in between is sort of this delicious sandwich of, uh, of no yeah. consequences. What they don't say though is that kid was going to have ocular cancer in that eye, and so Prez saved actually his life. saved his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't know it. He had that uh, that blastoma all up in his eye, and uh, thank God for Prez, man. Um, do we have a favorite, least favorite, or scene that we did not talk about, Vince? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but that scene of uh, of, of Daniels when he just just like the absolute fire in his eyes scares the shit out of me, and he get when he gets in Prez's face, and you have no idea what he's gonna say, but you're terrified. Uh, yeah, of it, like you—you you mean the the scene after the big uh, riot? Yeah, happens. and when he's yeah. he's sort of he's listing off all of the things that they fucked up. It kind of like you know he we lost two Kevlar vests, like we lost, yeah yeah again it all comes car. back to money because he's gonna get shit on because he lost a squad car, he lost right. all this stuff, and he's just got that um that affect and, that reminds me of when you get brought in front of the dean after you get written up totally. for like drinking in the dorms or whatever, and yeah, and, and they're just like. They're reading off all the dumb shit you said when you were drunk that seemed cool at the time, and now yeah. it just is an extra nail in your dumbass coffin. You're like, no, no, those slurs were ironic. Yeah. My best friend. <laughs> and nothing you can say makes it. it uh-huh. gonna, it, it's not going to go good for you. And uh, yeah. and he's just an incredible actor, and he scares the shit out of me, and I love that. Lance Reddick is fucking great in this, yeah. Um, uh. PFT, do you have like a, a favorite or a least favorite scene or a scene we didn't mention? Well, so when when McNulty is talking to the judge and mm-hmm. it's very clear that the judge takes special interest in McNulty, I was just trying to remember why that judge likes McNulty so much and what sort of background they have together. I couldn't remember. So it's been, you know, 10 years as I said since I've seen it. So but yeah. I'm sure that there is some connection there. Yeah, as far as I know, um the only they're, yeah, they don't. I mean, I don't personally remember if they had like a specific type of history together or if they went to like the same fucking Catholic church or school or some shit or they know the same people. I just know that uh, um, McNulty is t- like the judge is interested in McNulty showing up to a trial in which he is not a part of. Like he doesn't have, uh, it's not his. Um, the defendant isn't someone he arrested. He's just showing up. And I think he's interested in why someone would give a fuck. Yeah. I think and, in real uh, life is if you take any basic interest in the details of someone's life, like that person has a weird affinity for you. Cause no one really does that most of the time. No one does that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it is, it is cute to watch judge Phelan kind of, uh, you know, kind of do things like these huge favors for McNulty while throwing him under the bus simultaneously. It's, uh, I don't know. I like, I love their relationship and uh, we'll see if it sours later on. (laughs) Um, There's just one scene uh, or moment that I missed that I want to bring up. And that's um, bubbles uh, selling the hats to people in order to get the, like the, the top dogs to wear the red hat. Uh, There's just this part where he's just talking about how much pussy he used to get. And I, I have a clip of that. 
too far. I'm out here. I'm out here trying to outfit niggas with something to rile up some pussy. Y'all don't want to know, boy, but just to get that pussy. You know, I reckon pussy ain't worth what it used to be. Y'all could do it without a proper grin, right? Bob used to get that pussy. Just dancing around. I love Bob so much, man. Also, like when, when I forget the guy's name, McNulty's boss. Yeah. Gets mad at him. He goes Rawls, out. Yeah. Rawls goes out. He, he throws all the shit off McNulty's desk, but <laughs> yeah. it's not McNulty's desk. Yeah. He, doesn't even, he doesn't even know where he fucking sits. <laughs> what's, the, what's the name of the fat cop? I forget that. Dude's Jay name. Landsman. Landsman. I, I love that guy. Like the most oh. vulgar, disgusting human being. Mm-hmm. But every time he talks, like, and he's always talking about jacking off. I don't know what it is about <laughs> those types of guys. They just yeah. always make a reference. Like I, I'm staying here pulling my putt. I can't get it up. Yeah. Like, it's, it's such a perfect character actor for that. He's poetically vulgar and it's like it's beautiful to watch he's so good um yeah and uh finally um we need to rate this episode oh first i guess the real gangsta if we're bringing that back is feckless bureaucracy sure um (laughs) and if i had to uh rate this episode uh with uh, on a scale of b or of a to f uh i would give it a solid b plus vince what would you give this episode yeah that's a tough one um you know really good episode i think one of the all-time great tv episodes um so uh in light of that i think i have to give it a solid b plus okay pft what would you give uh, this episode i really liked it it reminded me why i love the wire so much but mm-hmm. it, it gets better so it starts out strong, but somehow the series just continues to improve. Mm. So I'm going to leave a little room for improvement towards the end and give this one a B plus. All right. Solid B plus all around and a solid A plus episode of pod yourself. The wire PFT commenter. Thank you so much for coming back and talking about TV shows with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me back on it. I can't believe we made it this entire time without talking about how your microphone is just a Hitachi magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where can people find you on the internet, uh, PFT? Uh, you can find me at uh, PFT Commenter on most socials, um, except for Venmo. Some motherfucker stole PFT Commenter on Venmo. Oh, so people are just, I don't know if they're requesting or giving money to that person, but uh, somebody else has that. Uh, but up. yeah, just find me at PFT Commenter. Find me a part of my take, the podcast, and macrodosing the podcast. All right, check those out wherever you get your podcasts. Patreon.com slash broadcast for all of the bonus episodes where Vince and I talk about other things, other TV shows, other movies. Um, once again, the $8 tier, pot yourself a shout out, will get you a shout out. Of course, we're pre-recording these episodes, so we don't have any $8 tier people yet. But this episode and the previous one are about to come out. So if you're listening to this, go to Patreon.com slash broadcast. Sign up for the $8 tier, and we will give you a nickname, like Weebay or Snot Boogie or fucking, you know, what's another one? Stinkum. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bubbles. We'll give you a good one. Vince, you'll come up with great ones, Oof. won't you? It's a lot of pressure, but I, uh, yeah, I'll do my best to. Well, give one for me. Rise to the well, occasion. Like give, the me a, give me a nickname. Uh, Fuzz. Fuzz. All right. Now, g- give PFT a nickname. Uh, uh, Kicker. Kickers, okay. see, yeah. worth the money, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely worth. It. We'll yeah. figure out a system yeah. in which we'll like them. Well, because um, your hair is fuzzy, and my hair is fuzzy. You know, I got it. Good at kicking footballs. So, uh, oh, that's is that true? You you can kick a football. I uh, 
Kind of. So through the magic of the internet, we do multiple takes, but I did, I did make a 45 yarder. Some people are saying it was the altitude, mm. but it was actually indoors and the altitude in Denver doesn't travel. That's right. Through, balls. through, through yeah, no, the air was sea level. No, they, yeah. they rethicken the, they rethicken the air inside the dome. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Everyone knows that. Um, patreon.com slash broadcast join now uh, broadcast at gmail.com for all your questions comments and concerns Vince what's a google voice number 415-275-0030 alright everyone thanks again so much for listening and until next time if you come at the king you best not miss wire podcast the world's only wire podcast yeah bitch this is a show about the wire and it's also about putting out some fires it's about war on drugs and the war on terror it's about lots of things but it's also about cool guys who sell drugs to their friends and their thugs and everybody's seeing all the things going on and no one doing nothing and no one's ever gonna win and the war won't end till everyone tries heroin about schools and people who work at the docks and people who teach in schools and the newspaper guys at the end and also about drug dealers and also about drug users and also about McNulty getting a divorce from his wife skip this this is a future island song they're from baltimore honestly i would skip this if you don't know the song this is just gonna suck even if you do know the song it's gonna suck a lot but the lyrics were very easy to write 
book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.